Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning to be here, uh, to be together. Now, Lord, to look at your word. And we pray uh, that you would use it to speak into our lives and into our hearts. Uh, we want to know you better. Uh, we want to trust you more. Lord, we want to find our hope here in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Romans 5, 1 through 5 reads like this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's inspired word for us today. Please be seated. On September 30th, 1938, how many of you remember that day? Wow, okay. We've got some liars and we've got some liars. Okay, um, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain landed at the Heston Aerodrome following a series of meetings with the German Chancellor in which Chamberlain agreed to allow Germany to annex a portion of Czechoslovakia known as the Sudetenland, which contains some three million ethnic Germans. Now, stepping off that plane, Chamberlain proudly announced this. The settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which all Europe may find peace. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler, and here is the paper which bears his name upon it, as well as mine. Some of you, perhaps, have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. And just a few hours later, outside of the official residence at 10 Downing Street, Chamberlain added this. He said, My good friends, for the second time in our history, a, prime, a British prime minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. Okay, um, you may understand the story, right? Less than a year later, on the morning, early morning of September 1st, 1938, at the direction of that Herr Hitler, uh, Germany invaded Poland, catapulting Western Europe and really all of the entire world into chaos. As a result of World War II, an estimated 70 to 85 million people died over the next six years, well over half of them civilians alone. Chamberlain's time as the prime minister really didn't last much longer than his peace that he had promised. Uh, he resigned under mounting criticism and pressure a mere eight months into that war. And so we have this term that he's sort of famous for, right? Peace for our time. And, you know, doesn't that sound like a, a good thing? I'm guessing that, that maybe 
A few of us in this room might even be willing to make a deal with Herr Hitler this morning, right? If we could just get a little bit of that quiet sleep that Neville Chamberlain had so confidently promised. And the word that we find for peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. Uh, Shalom doesn't merely signify the absence of a conflict, right? This isn't just a military ceasefire, but it actually indicates the presence of completeness, soundness, or health. This is happiness and welfare. See, biblical shalom is not predicated upon a particular set of circumstances, but it is a state of being or a wholeness that is, in fact, independent from circumstance. And so as we begin to look at our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul opens with this word, therefore. And you've been in church maybe long enough to know that anytime you see the word therefore, what do you have to do? You have to go back and see what the word therefore is. Come on, help me out. Therefore, thank you. Okay, therefore. What is it therefore? We have to go back and find this, what is he talking about? So in Romans 4, Paul is making this argument that Abraham, Father Abraham, the patriarch or father of all of God's people, was not justified before God on the basis of his obedience or his good works or his faithfulness. Rather, Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith. Abraham's faith had saved him from the penalty of his sin, which we saw in the previous chapter in Romans chapter 3. It says that, you know, the penalty of sin was death, and that all sin, because all fall short of the glory of God. And so even though Abraham did some really great things, okay, and, and, the, and the Jewish people, especially in Jesus' time, loved to think about Abraham as their father, Abraham also made some pretty big mistakes as well. You might remember a time that um, Abraham lied about who his wife was, um, it was sort of a, a partial truth, really, more than a, a flat-out lie. But, but he claimed that she was his sister and, and kind of skated through Egypt and around uh, this potential bad situation. Um, he had a child out of wedlock, Father Abraham did, with one of his wife's servants. He failed to believe that God would actually provide the son that God had promised to him. And he actually even argued with God over the seriousness and the wickedness of the corruption in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what did Abraham deserve for his unrighteous actions? He deserved the same thing that we all deserve, which is punishment and death. And yet what did Abraham receive from God? He received covenantal blessing, righteousness, grace, and shalom. And why does Abraham receive these things? Paul says it's because of his faith, his trust, his hope was in God and not in himself. See, Paul provides the foundation for true peace. And he says, therefore, since we have justified by faith, we have peace with God. So where does true peace come from on this biblical scale? Well, really, peace comes from being justified by faith. And justification is a big term. It's a, it's a theological term that we use, and it really um, contains two parts. But it just means to be, to be made right or be just before God. It's a forensic term or a legal term. And the, and the first part of this is, is mercy. Right? And mercy is not 
receiving the punishment that I was owed. Not getting what I deserved. It's not to suggest that that what I deserve just disappeared, though. Right, that God in his mercy forgives us and he doesn't just take our sin and just, just put an eraser on it and we can just forget about it, right? See, God actually had to do something about it. He doesn't just say some magic words or snap his fingers and our sin just disappears. And, and why can't God do that? It's because God is a good God and a just God. If any sin goes unpunished, God is no longer good and he's no longer just. But through faith, that sin is forgiven. And and, and Jane read it for us this morning already. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our transgressions from us. But it didn't just disappear. That sin was actually placed on someone else. See, in the the Old Testament, God gives us sort of a picture of what this looks like. And he gave this sacrificial system. Uh, We see it in Leviticus chapter 16 in the Day of Atonement. In the Day of Atonement, all of God's people would get together and there would be Two goats. Now, how many of you have two goats at home? Anybody? Okay, nobody. Anybody have one goat? Anybody have a goat? Nobody has a goat. Wow, okay. So, uh, okay, so here's what you do. Goats, what, what, do, what do goats do? They're, they're not really that great for a whole lot. Okay, but they would bring them before God and as a sacrifice to the Lord. And one goat would be the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice to pay for the penalty that the, of, of sin that the people owed. Okay, now, this was purely symbolic. The, the, what does my sin owe? My sin owes the shedding of blood. That was the first goat. And the second goat, they would take it and they would set it free and let it run off into the wilderness. And that goat was symbolic of the fact that God takes, he doesn't just, just forgive our sins. Okay, it's, the, the blood doesn't just pay for our sin, but that goat runs off, right? That our sin flees from us, that God has removed our sin from us. He doesn't just punish sin, but he actually removes it away from us. And then in the New Testament, we see sort of the full realization of this idea in Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes that he who knew no sin, right, the perfect sinless God, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the first part is mercy. And the second part here is grace. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Okay, he didn't just take our sin on the goat and send it away, but in fact we are credited with the righteousness of Jesus. The reward that Jesus deserved because he lived a completely perfect, completely holy, completely righteous life. And because of the work of Jesus, we are actually credited with a perfect holy righteousness. God doesn't just take our account and, and cross off what we owe, but he actually pours into that. Right? He puts this immense treasure within us. And that's God's grace. Grace means receiving what belonged rightfully to Jesus. And what belongs to Jesus is peace or shalom with the Father. See, once we were far off from God, once we were enemies from God through our own sin nature as well as our own sinful actions, and yet because of Jesus, we are brought near to God. 
and counted as righteous and called the sons and daughters of God. That is the gift of grace. See, peace with God is an undeserved gift. It can never be earned. And it also can never be lost. And we receive this gift through faith. Uh, to paraphrase from, from Hebrews 11, faith is being certain of what we hope for and fully convinced of what we cannot see. We can't see faith with our eyes. We can't see the Lord with our eyes. We can't touch him with our hands. You've probably never heard the Lord audibly speak to you with your ears. But faith is believing that God is who he said that he is. Trusting in the promises that he has given to us and and looking at his word and believing it. See, God isn't silent. He's not absent. He's not apathetic in our lives. He doesn't he doesn't just ignore us after, after we come to faith. It's not as if he just doesn't care about us anymore. You know, finally, I got that guy off my back. But God cares about us, and he loves us, and he hears us, and he's with us. And that's why we can rejoice even in our sufferings. A couple years into the war, in, in May of 1940, Germany invaded the Netherlands. And there was a family there, the Ten Boom family. They're a family of Christians, and they fully believed that, that God loved and cared for the world. And so what they did as a family, you might know the story, is they began to take in Jewish people into their home. And they had a secret compartment in their house that they called the hiding place. And Jews would come in there as they're evading Hitler and the Nazis for sweeping through, trying to round up and collect these people and exterminate them. But the Ten Boom family was found out. And one night their home was raided and and 30 people were arrested. Amazingly, the Jews that were in their home were never found. But the family was taken off. And and there's a a sister, Corey and Betsy, who were sent to Ravensbrück, which was this notorious concentration camp. And Betsy was this very strong believer who was constantly trying to encourage her sister and saying things like, hey, we've got to give thanks to God in all circumstances. She says, how do you give thanks to God in a concentration camp? And so in her prayer, she would even say things like, God, thank you for the fleas in our beds tonight. And Corey's going, how do you thank God for fleas in a concentration camp? Right? This doesn't make sense at all, but then, you know, Betsy's quoting her 1 Thessalonians 5.17, give thanks in all circumstances. So they gave thanks for the fleas, and later on, you might know the story, they discovered that the fleas were the things that kept the guards from coming into their barracks. And the fleas were the things that allowed them to continue their nightly worship services. And, and the fleas were the things that allowed them to minister to people freely in the name of Jesus. Later on, Corey was sort of mysteriously released, although her sister, Betsy, had died ten days before See, we don't always get to see how God is going to use those things that we suffer. But we can be confident and we can have peace knowing that God does use all things for good. See, God can use our sufferings in big ways and in small ways. One of the small ways is just that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And when you think about it, perseverance and character, those aren't really small things. Think again back to the Old Testament. There's this guy named Joseph, who's a man that suffered betrayal at the hands of his brother, his brothers. 
They, they take him, they're jealous of him, they throw him into a pit, they leave him for dead, they sell him into slavery, he gets sold into a home of, of Potiphar. Right? He encounters betrayal at the hand of his master's wife, he gets thrown into jail, he meets some friends, he helps one of them out, he gets forgotten for seven years and left again in prison. And yet all through that time, God was using, using those circumstances and using that trial to shape him and to mold him and to help him to grow to the point that he was prepared when the time would come later on and he was elevated into the in charge of this entire nation of Egypt the lord the lord used him to spare an entire people from disaster when famine came upon them and he even spared his own brothers and his father because of the things that had, that his brothers had done to him you know, how, many, how many of us have grown from experiences that we didn't particularly find pleasant at the time? You know, how many of us have been drawn closer to God through things that we definitely did not want to endure? Even though we tried everything that we possibly could to avoid those things. Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, especially when we suffer for doing the right thing. And character produces hope. And this is a hope that, that Paul says does not put us to shame. As we shared last week, you know, you can think about almost any metric that you want. That, that we live in, in one of the most promising places and promising eras in all of human history. Right? But you can look around, there's, there's freedom and there's opportunity and there's prosperity everywhere. And, and we often hear this message, especially we just had kind of graduation season, right? Um, how many of you heard or, 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 have, or have said to someone, you know, you can do anything you want as long as you put your mind to it. You know, you can, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And we see this world with endless possibilities and we want everything. And, and I'm guessing for most of you, kind of like, myself that you probably haven't achieved everything that has ever been on your list there's probably some things where you've fallen short but you know what's more depressing than achieving your dreams it's actually getting everything that you want the author author jack higgins was asked what he would have liked to have known as a boy when he was growing up and this was his answer he said that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Right? When you get to the top, when you've achieved everything that you've wanted, there's nothing there. The top of that mountain, whether it's academics or, or career or finance or athletics or relationships or whatever, if you've placed your hope, all of your hope in the things of the world, then when you get what you've always wanted, what you find out is that that brings nothing. The author of Ecclesiastes says that everything is vanity, everything is fleeting, everything is worthless. And this was a man who had experienced all of the pleasures of life, everything you could dream of, everything you can think of. But J.I. Packer wrote that no realistic hope of better things to come can be drawn from the ways of the modern world. You see, the, the grass withers, the flowers fade, the relationships grow cold, the dollar devalues. The beauty fades, the body breaks down, the prestige wears off, those nations crumble, and we see that power corrupts, and hope in any of these things doesn't lead us to lasting joy, but actually to despair. 
So when we place our hope for the future in anything that's not eternal, we will be put to shame. And yet when we strive and yearn for more, we we think if if I just get a little bit more, then I'll be happy. If I just try a little bit harder, then I'll be happy. If I just work a little bit extra... And yet we see that nothing can satisfy us. And, and, and C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, if we were made for Jesus, to be with Jesus, then we would expect that nothing we find here in this world, no matter how much we have or how, much, how hard we try, could ever satisfy us in the way that Jesus can. Ephesians says that if we don't know Jesus, then we're isolated and alienated and strangers and hopeless and, 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 and without any hope in this world. And I, I, I bet you know people that, that don't know Jesus and that's sort of the way they live. With no hope in this world. And, and it looks like on the outside they've got everything together and yet on the inside they're crumbling away because the things that they have can't satisfy the desires of their hearts. But Peter says that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, through the resurrection of Jesus, we have a hope that's alive we have this true home and an inheritance that, that's imperishable and undefiled and un, unfading. When our hope is in Jesus, it can't be diminished. When the stock market goes down, it's not destroyed, it's not devalued. But it also can never be fully realized here and now. Like we're never going to get completely full of that satisfied, we're, we're never going to satisfy that desire completely that we have for Jesus here in this world. It's not going to be until we can be with him. See, Lewis again wrote, he said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. See, if you know Jesus, if your hope is in Jesus, then the object of your life must be to hold on to Jesus and to be with Jesus and to get to Jesus and and to have a burning passion. Not just to wring everything we can out of this life here and now, but to build and invest towards that home that will last and to point others to the exact same thing. Now, 42 years ago in, in Northeast Ohio, uh, Megan's grandfather and uncle were out walking through the woods and they were going deer hunting. And there was an accident. Uh, her uncle shot and killed his father. And, and this was a terrible tragedy, one that robbed a, a boy of his father and a, and, and, a, and a girl of her father and a wife of her husband and kept their grandchildren from ever getting to know their grandfather. Right? But that wasn't the end of that story. See, for years, this man had kept a notepad at his bedside, and he would jot down the people he knew that didn't know Jesus. 
And he and his wife would, would get together every night and they would pray for them by name. And they kept adding to it and adding to it. And they, and they tried to share their faith so many times and that they didn't see a single person come to faith. But at that funeral, these people that he had prayed for, his parents, his best friends, the, the people that are closest to him, gave their lives to Jesus. And by the testimony of time, were completely changed forever. Like they were completely different people in, in a way that they never could have been if it wasn't for his death. And at that funeral, they heard about the hope of Jesus. They heard about the joy of Jesus. And they heard of what was in store for them if they would love and follow Jesus. And they did, and a family was changed forever. They walked the aisle, they prayed the prayer, and they were different people. At the conclusion of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, this uh, little hobbit named Samwise Gamgee, he faithfully walks alongside Bilbo or Frodo Baggins through the pits of hell, almost literally, and, 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 and he discovers, they discover at the end of the, of the series, and sorry if you haven't read it, that their friend Gandalf, this wizard, is alive. And he says, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And Pastor Tim Keller answers this question by stating the answer of Christianity to that question is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. See, the Lord is taking those terrible things, all those sad things, the broken things, and at some point everything sad will come untrue. Everything broken will become whole because of the promise and the hope that we have in Jesus. Where is our full hope? Where is our ultimate hope? Well, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Revelation chapter 21. It talks about the hope that we have. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What's going to happen to our tears the Lord will wipe them away because he will be with us. And that's the great hope that we have. If you are in Christ, right? if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, then, then you understand that Jesus has called us to something bigger. He's called us to something greater. He's called us to himself. This is a great hope that we have only in him. Won't you pray with me? Father, the missionary Jim Elliott, who gave his life for the gospel, said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lord, you know that, that there's so much in this world that we're striving towards, so much that, that we cannot keep. There's so much that we cannot take with us. 
And yet, Lord, if we know you, if we have you, we not only have everything that we need, but we have so much more. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the hope that we have in Jesus, that the hope is not just for this world, but is for more than this world. Lord, and that hope is not just for someday, somehow, some way in heaven, but Lord, it is also for today. That we have hope that you can take even the worst circumstances that we face and use those things for our good and for your glory. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us to trust you, help us to believe in you, help us to find our hope in you because of what you have done for us through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Our last hymn this morning is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. If you'd stand as you're able and join me.
turn, we turn to Jesus and look in his wonderful face. Receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And those things the world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Amen. Thank you.